Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, and this is the Revolutionary Podcast. Continuing our study of the book of Acts as we are looking at chapter 4 and we are going to look at an amazing principle that is important for all believers. It is called prayer and we're going to look and examine a prayer that the people give God in response to the threats that the Jewish leaders had said, hey, you better not talk about Jesus or else. Listen, there's a lot of threats and different things, oppositions, hurdles that we all have to face in life. And there is a pattern in this prayer that helps us to experience the power of God in our lives. So today, uh, I want to be able to add to what already has begun as the study or a look into the book of Acts. And um, w- one of the things I want to... I want to kind of lay out as a base foundation concerning the book of Acts is something concerning prayer because the scripture we're going to be looking at today is going to be aligned with something called prayer. So uh, prayer in essence, okay, is uh, in practice is important for us to note that it's not an exercise in us getting what we want. It is an exercise in our alignment with what God has already said. Prayer is of no consequence if you approach it as a vending machine type of exercise where I actually come to God and say, God, give me this, give me that. Because more times than not, you will find yourself disappointed because not every result is going to be as you want it. And even for the things that you do receive that you want, you may miss certain important points because prayer is is entering into God's narrative of time how he informs time from eternity, okay? So anytime we're praying, that's why as we were singing, it's about saying, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power forever and ever, amen. In Spanish, I love how it even sounds as el dominio y el imperio, right? Dominion and empire. Okay, so that's, uh, that's a very, very big thing to take into account because when we pray for his kingdom to come, we're not just praying for a whole bunch of good feelings. Uh, we're not praying. I mean, I know it feels like it, especially when, we, when we're playing the right chords and we're singing these beautiful songs. It feels more like, God, let the confetti of heaven fall on me. When what we're really saying is your kingdom come, we're saying, let all the weight, let all everything in the rule and dominion, everything, I mean, it's heavy. Let it just come crashing, and not crashing, but actually lay itself upon us, okay? That is heavy stuff, okay? It means that when you turn left, there are certain rules or certain procedures that you cannot go past. And you may say, but I thought this was the, pa- the party planet side of things. And God says, no, this is part of my rule of my empire, of my dominion. And that's what you wanted to see come, right? So to say your kingdom come is not to say, God, let my will be done in heaven as I see it being done on earth. No, it's the other way around, right? So I think it's very important that we understand that prayer is not an exercise in us getting what we want, but it is an exercise in us aligning with dominion, with his strength, with his regulation, with his rule, with what he sees is best. 
So when an answer, when a prayer is answered, it is only answered in light of God's whole narrative for history. Um, let me let me kind of read a little bit here so you can follow along. But uh, if if you are familiar, we I know we've been going through the Book of Acts, but the scripture I'm going to be reading from is from Acts chapter four. Okay, and um, one of the things that is important to note is that you what you may have covered uh, previously had the disciples being uh, returned to their own group after being threatened by the Sanhedrin. And if you're not familiar with who the Sanhedrin is or what have you, the Sanhedrin is basically, by definition, a, mem a group of members, okay, that were in control. They were in control. They were in power. Uh, it was Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, and these guys were between the traditional legalists, this is how you do it, and people who actually controlled the temple markets, okay? So you had a, a quite an eclectic group of people, and the, some of the disciples had been, now apostles, had been stopped and had been told, do not continue talking about Jesus. But, of course, they decide not to. And they return back, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, <clears throat> when they had heard the story with one accord, when they tell the story to the church, they lifted up their voice to God. And this is truly one of the most incredible prayers recorded in the Bible. So what I'm going to be talking about today is when they come back and they start telling others about their experience, okay? So what you see here is this moment of praise and this moment of prayer, all right? So this is what we're entering. Now, four things I want us to note <clears throat> about how they actually discuss and how they actually share what they experience with God. The first important thing to note is uh, in verse 24, it says, and when they heard it, meaning all the people, they heard what the disciples spoke of, it says, they raised their voices together to God and said, O sovereign Lord, uh, it is you who have made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything that is in them. So the first thing to note is that they address the person of God as Lord, okay? So when they begin to speak to the people, the first thing that they address is the idea of Lord, meaning he who has complete power and authority. Now, I know for us it's a little bit hard to understand because we, especially here in America, we don't think in terms of having a, uh, serving a king. We have more so a democracy, a republic, and we actually elect our representatives and whatnot. But when the disciples come in and they're actually having this conversation and they are sharing this, uh, they're, not, they're looking at more as a monarchic type of statement, meaning there is a ruler. Okay, so he says, they raise their voices together to God and said, O sovereign king, meaning you have complete power, you have complete authority. Okay, so they address the person of God as Lord. So they make it clear from the very beginning that who they are speaking of, Jesus, who is a part of this whole idea, is not just an elected representative. He doesn't even represent the idea of godhood as the emperor 
represented uh, according to the Roman Empire, he is much greater than that, meaning there is no changing in him. There is no variation. There is no inconsistency. There is no defect in his ruling. So when they're thinking about Lord, they're thinking about God, they're thinking about this one being who will say in every edict that comes from him is true no matter where it lands in, t in terms of time, people, or places. It is all encompassing. It is all perfection. They are making room even for that which they do not understand by adding the following. It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. So when they are, they are addressing God, they are addressing the personhood of God, meaning this is who you are. See, there is no separation between his rule and who he is. You are all-powerful, you are all-knowing, you are all-good. So what you say is going to happen is not separated from your love for us. See, they, they, there's, no, there's no separation, okay? It is all one thing. It is all baked into the cake. So they begin with addressing the person of God as Lord, as unchanging, all-powerful, and um, at the end of the day, in control of all things. The second thing they do, we see also in verse 24. So let me read that again so I can add. And when they heard it, they raised their voices to God and said, O sovereign Lord, having complete power and authority, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. So they speak to the person of God as, um, as all powerful with complete authority. But then they also recognize the power of God. Okay. The power of God is not different in that it is not connected to God, but it is a different aspect of who God is. So you can speak of someone as good, but then you can also speak about what they do, their skill, and what they bring to the table. So they recognize God as having full authority, but they also recognize him as wholly powerful, okay? So in their prayer and in their declaration, they're saying, this is who you are in control. You are in charge and you are all powerful, meaning those things that we have no control over. Now, let, let's let's consider context here. The primitive church, the church is beginning to be established and they are going up, up against the Sanhedrin. Okay, they're going against the power that is currently in charge traditionally and in terms of custom. But they also know that this power, this traditional power also has pull with the Roman Empire. Right. With the prefects that have been assigned to the area. So they know that they are going to be entering into trouble with the religious leadership. But they also know that by being in trouble with them, they'll be in trouble with who is in charge of all of them, with the Roman Empire, the greatest empire known to man at that point in time. And they recognize that God is above anybody in the Sanhedrin, but he, they also recognize that he has enough power to overthrow anything that is in place. He has enough power to be able to set borders, boundaries, to be able to say, this stops here and this goes on here. So again, they address the person of God as Lord and they recognize the power of God. 
Now, I don't want you to miss this. I'm giving you probably some historical context, but here are some important points for us to also take into account in terms of how we approach God on an everyday basis. See, a lot of times we like to think of God's power to accomplish our will. And we put that first. The problem is that we then don't take into account the personhood of God. See, the personhood of God is all good. He is all knowing. So if we pray and say, God, show your power and heal my family member or heal my colleague or open a door for this job or give me the grade I want. And we remove the personhood of God. God is saying, yes, I have the power, but I don't know that you're ready to listen to me as a person as to why I want to take it in a different direction. And all prayer requests then mean nothing. Because then it becomes our personal agenda. And the implication of that statement is, it is not the personhood of God that determines what is best. It is the personhood of me. Therefore, your power only does as I say, and then there's success in that. Amen. Completely, completely incorrect way of approaching it. So the disciples, the apostles, begin the statement with, anything that comes of this begins with who God is. His power is shown in light of him, not in light of my desire. That doesn't mean that God doesn't care about our desires. It only means that God knows best. But how can he show you he knows best if you're only seeing him as a tool, right, in your workshop? A lot of times uh, people end up getting disappointed with God because their prayers are not answered or they're disappointed by the church. I mean, I've, I've, had, I've had people in my life that I've lost, as many of you may have. I've, I've had things I've wanted in my life that end up not coming about the way I want them to come about. I prayed and I've said, yes, I want this, I want that. I, uh, probably a month and a half ago, I gave a eulogy at, uh, at the funeral of, of, a, of a young boy whom I worked with for several years, loved very much, and he died of, uh, of, uh, you know, of a heart condition and he needed a heart transplant and lungs and all that. And um, when things were going really bad and he passed away in December, uh, many family members and many people say, hey, pray for him and all that. And I remember, it's a whole different story, but I remember looking at him and, and, and ha had several conversations concerning what his life would be like when it moved on. And I remember praying and I couldn't get myself, I couldn't, every time I would pray, Lord, just, I know you have the power to give him a new heart. I know you have the power to be able to give him two new lungs. I know you're this God. But every time I would pray with him and for him, I couldn't get myself to, to not to not pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done. Now, some people would say, well, that's the easy way out. That's probably the, that, that's probably the kind of way that somebody who doesn't have faith prays. But as I grow older in my faith, I've realized that there's this very real tension between his will and his power. Between who he is and his power. Can God heal? Can God replace? Can God do all these things? Yes, he can. But what is his will? And it is, is it our responsibility as the body of Christ to be able to proclaim his power in light of his will? 
I know another gentleman who's a very wonderful man, and uh, I've shared with him quite a bit. He's become a friend, and he has stage 4 cancer right now. And, um, you know, we talk consistently and whatnot, and he looks great. But when we, when we get into that conversation, there's no doubt that he knows that God can heal his stage 4 cancer. But then, within that conversation, we all know and we're all very aware that his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Many people, there's conversations that happen daily in our lives, even with ourselves, where what happens to each and every one of us is directly connected to the idea of, God, please deliver me. God, please give me. God, please do what I know you can do. But it's the same thing that the initial church had to deal with. And actually to them, it was a foregone conclusion that it could not live outside of who he was, who he is as a person. So we must recognize that God is powerful and can do all these things, but it cannot be first, it cannot be before who he is as a person. The third thing to take into account concerning this is from verse 25 to verse 28. And I want to be able to read this, which says, who by the Holy Spirit, meaning God, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the nations, meaning the Gentiles, become arrogant and rage, and the people devise future things against God? The kings of the earth took their stand to attack, and the rulers were assembled together against the Lord and against his anointed, the Christ, the Messiah. For in this city they were gathered together, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, <clears throat> the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined, meaning before the creation of the world, to occur and do so without knowing it. They served your own purpose. The third thing to take into account is that they recognize and they acknowledge the plan of God. So the people... Here, <clears throat> the church understood very clearly that, again, it's the person of God, <clears throat> excuse me, the person of God, the power of God, and the plan of God. You cannot actually remove the plan of God. When you actually put his plan, uh, his personhood, his power, then it's easier to be able to comply with his plan. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, and it's his, it's his plan. You see, the people of Israel and, and, the, and, and the initial church is actually taking a moment to quote things that had been predestined, things that had been preset. God had already known from the foundations of the earth, he had known that it was a possibility that man would choose to sin and to move away from God. And as a result, the Gentiles, those that are not connected to God, would move away from God. And that God would have to be able to put into effect a plan that actually would work. I kind of, when I think of this, I kind of think of that Doctor Strange moment in Infinity War where he's looking at 15,000 possibilities, but this is one possibility that works, and they all commit to that one possibility. God had that same idea in mind. So man chose... To move away from God, 
putting into effect this one possibility where the only way out is he has to come and he has to die and he has to put himself in place to make it possible for us to be able to be saved. So the people who have now who are now called the church, the body of Christ, because they are believers, they acknowledge the personhood of God, personhood of God, who he is. They acknowledge his power, but then they align themselves with the plan of God. And here's here's the deal. When you align yourself <clears throat> with God's plan, it is extremely important to note that now you are moving into a place where I'm part of a bigger quilt, right? I'm part of this gigantic quilt that has different patches with different colors and different strings and all these different things. And I just want to be the one that goes where it belongs. Meaning, it's truly a your kingdom comes. So if your kingdom, if your pattern says that I'm supposed to go in this way and come out that way, then it's a foregone conclusion for me that if I go in this way and come out that way, it's the best way to be done. Because my goal, the best motivation, the best thing that could be presented to me is to be and have a place inside of this gigantic pattern. It is to be aligned with your plan. It is to be able to be one of the many voices that gets to be able to then push away after all it's said and done and say, that's why this made sense. Because 600 years earlier, what I did actually confirmed why this was done before that. It's hard for us to think in those manners, especially in the age of microwaves, especially in the age of 5G. Everything is so quick to find that it's very hard for us to be able to go back in time and say, everything that I'm doing in terms of following God is aligned to something much greater. We, in many times, interpret godly success with gigantic accomplishments that happen to me today. We equate it with everything I want for my family, for my friends, and everything that I envision is aligned with my effort. I mean, there is a gigantic pr proliferation nowadays of motivational type of speaking and, and let's, let's get ahead and, and build our businesses and be successful. Nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm not here to speak against that because I think there's a place for that. What I think is important to note is that that mindset is not aligned with God's mindset. It is not aligned with his personhood. God is not making a two-minute pizza here. God is baking a plan for all of mankind. Now, could God go like this and just change all, the, all things? Yes, he can. But you see, if he were to do that, then it would go against who he is in terms of justice. And God is not committed to doing the right thing because he doesn't think in terms of doing right. He, think, he thinks in terms of being. That is who he is. God cannot all of a sudden snap his finger and do things quickly, not because he doesn't have the power, but because it is not within his nature. He says, you chose this, so we're going to follow this whole thing until the end of time. So that when all things are said and done, justice is accomplished back to 4,000 years, 6,000 years back. Every single thread is perfectly woven in 
with imperfect people in that pattern. So it is important to start with recognizing the personhood of God, who he is, then knowing that he is powerful enough to accomplish anything, and then giving ourselves to the plan of God, at which point we can then get to the fourth step, fourth and final step, if you will. Verse 29 to 31 says, And now, Lord, observe, please pay attention to the threats. Please take the meaning, take them into account. All right? I want you to think about everything they're saying and grant that your bond servants, meaning those that are connected to you, See, I want to take a moment to explain to you what a bondservant is. I think it's important. The Greek word for servant is doulos, okay? Now, it's one of my favorite words in the Greek because a bondservant, as it's described here in the scripture, is basically a doulos, meaning one who has a ring on his ear. The idea of a doulos was somebody who willfully decided to commit him or herself as a servant of someone. And when that person said, I do not want to live my indentured servitude from you, then that master would say, okay, well, we have to make it public. And they would be taken to the doors of the city, and then they would put the ear up against the doors of the city, and they would actually, uh, with like a little hammer, actually chisel in an, uh, a ring earring which was called a doulos, okay? Meaning everyone that knew that person says, I am willfully given myself as a bond servant. This is not that I've been obligated. I am now following in the footsteps by my own will because I have decided to follow a master. So when the church is saying, we are your servants or your bond servants, what they're saying, everybody knows, we are doulos of God. We are committed to God. Okay, not because we are forced, but because this is who we are. It's in the same light as the disciple Peter said, to where else can I go? I mean, where, where else? Only from you do I get words of truth. Only from you do I get half of what I've ever experienced in my life. It beats fishing, is what he's saying. But fishing meant everything in that specific context. So, with that in mind, your bondservant, so that us that have willfully carried that earring may declare your message of salvation with great confidence while you, while you extended your hand to heal in signs and wonders, attesting miracles, take place through the name and the authority and power of your holy servant and son, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were meeting together was shaken as a sign of God's presence. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness and courage. Please note that we begin with the personhood of God. Then we move on to recognition of the power of God and a submission to the plan of God. And at that point, then they offer the, their petition to God. In other words, what they ask does not happen until these three things are fulfilled. And what are they met with? The ground being shaken. They are met with a sign. They are met with wonder. They are met with miracles. They are met with the power of God. Not because 
They prayed the right amount of time, not because they happened to be good people, but because they took the time to align themselves with God, His kingdom, His dominion, His power, His empire. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Then a petition is offered because we have a clear understanding that as a bondservant, you come before the master and you say, if you will, because we know you are good and we know that your power has been established from the moment that the foundations of the earth has been established, so you know much better. And I commit to the plan of the true maker and designer so with all that understanding in mind, would you give us the boldness? Would you give us the ability to be able to stand with the message? Even what they, they're not asking to be freed from the problems or the troubles. They're asking for the ability to stand strong amidst the trouble. A lot of people pray for patience. I'd say, you know, God, give me the strength to stand. And we do not realize that with those prayers, we're thinking in our minds that God is going to take the problem away. But God is saying, okay, well, get ready. I'm about to be able to put twice as much on you because you want to stand, right? It's kind of that whole Theodore Roosevelt type of idea of the man in the arena, right? It's easy to criticize when you're up on the stands, but the only one who knows is the one who's in the arena. He knows the glories of success and he knows what it's like to lose, but he and she are there. So it is in that same vein that we pray, God, help me to stand, help me to come and engage my day, not with what I want, but with what you know is best for me. And help me to stand. And I know that when I'm asking this, what I'm asking for is for you to heap on more trouble. But somehow, in some way, the world may see that as super masochistic and super crazy, but in somehow, in some way, I know that I will be met with the power of God. Corinthian Boom who was uh, a lady who was a uh, Jew who happened to be uh, a prisoner during Nazi concentration camps. She actually passed away, but she actually wrote quite a few books. In one of her stories, uh, she was asked about specifically how she was able to get on the trains, on the train specifically that she was being hauled over to Auschwitz in her case. And her response, I'll never forget, was, I was given the grace the moment I stepped in. And she elaborated by saying, one never has the ability to stand the moment they are waiting. One is given the ability to overcome once one remains and enters into a situation. And I found that very telling and very interesting and very true. Because in many instances, we are 
riddled with fear, we are riddled with concerns, and we are riddled with what is going to happen next. And God seems to wait till the last minute, not because he likes to see us suffering, but because he understands that our development and our ability to get to know him better and to be a better representative of his kingdom will require us to stand until the very last second, step in and know that where there is no floor, he will make a floor, that where there is no place to go, there will be a way and there will be a door and the grace ticket will be given to you and it will be punched and it will take you to where you need to get to only to where you need to get to make no mistake about it you overcoming something today does not mean that you're done with overcoming something tomorrow for every great victory there will be an even greater mountain to climb so let it not be said that you left here this morning with a sense of like he's saying that if we recognize his personhood, then everything goes well. Nope, it does not. Because if I do that, I betray my brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters in China, our brothers and sisters over in Iceland, our brothers and sisters that are in different parts of the world that are suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ. And I've always believed this. If they are laying their lives down, what makes us better? What makes us think that at some point trouble will not come our way? What makes us think that at some point the powers that be won't turn around and will begin to try to redefine terms? Like it just so happens it's happening today, even here in America. Our greatest battle is in making sure that we stand in defining clearly who God is. So that his power can be shown, not in people's desire and their hearts connect to God, but primarily what his will is. Now, I know I'm probably bucking up against my final moments here, so I want to say this in closing. What we have been able to take into account concerning chapter 4 here today is the following. Is that... Our greatest success, our greatest victory, our greatest possibility to overcome and rebuild and remake and see people be saved and seeing his kingdom come, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, begins with our understanding of who he is as a person right there. Who are you? See, if I know he is good, that I must be committed to the idea of his goodness cannot be separated from his justice, cannot be separated from his mercy, cannot be separated from his sovereignty, cannot be separated from his omniscience. He knows all things. So when I pray, I say, God, I know you are all these things and you will never betray your nature. And it is to God, it is to that God I come close to. It is that God whom I approach. And in my approach, I recognize that you're powerful. And I recognize that in your power, there is a perfect plan. So let my petition, let my request be, give me the boldness, give me the courage to be able to stand. And when I stand amidst the waves and the tsunami that seems to about to fall on me, that let me be found with a sense of fear, 
but at the same time a sense of you got this even if it's one foot away that the world may see that you are who you are not because of who I think or I feel you are but because of all you have set before me from the foundations of the earth if we pray in that manner and it'll be easier to go through this thing called life and I'm here to tell you in closing that that it's gonna be easier it's not especially if you decide to follow Christ but that's a big one you will overcome and you will grow wiser and you will grow stronger and you will build a legacy worthy of someone else continuing on the pattern until he returns his kingdom come his will be done his dominion his empire his glory forever and ever and in that manner god we pray this morning we say jesus we recognize your personhood we recognize your power we recognize your plan and we recognize that anything that we ask for cannot should not ought not live separate from the foundation and the essence of who you are. So I pray that you help us stand and that you help us remember that as things grow harder, as we confront a world that continually tries to define you in a way that's not connected to the scriptures, as we continually confront a world that continually tries to develop a new religion based on just feelings and new words and all these things, we pray, God, that you help us to not stray away from that which is universal, constant, and objective, which is aligned with your kingdom and your power and your glory, your dominion and your empire forever and ever. Amen. I want to encourage you not to miss out on, again, the pattern of the prayer that these people did. I mean, there was it was so powerful because it puts everything in the proper perspective. Again, it's like anything else when you want to do like a recipe or steps you need to follow that certain things have to go in order for things to work. This is what needs to be done. Notice again the priority of the personhood of God. They were praying, knowing and believing for him to be a good wonderful God. And they were doing so also in line with the plan of God. They were quoting scripture, aligning God. And this is a great way to pray as well. Say, Lord, we know in your word, this is what it says. Now, I want to encourage you, if you're going to start, you know, spitting scripture back to God and telling him what it says, you better understand what it means, not what you think it means, what he says it means. All right. So that's, that's number one. And so, but they rooted their prayer in the personhood of God, in surrendering to the plan of God, and that's when they gave that petition. And what was their petition? They did not ask for God to make life easier for them. Think about that. They said, Lord, give us boldness to face what is before us. They knew that what they were facing was historic. And guys, I want to challenge you to do the same thing. Do not pray soft prayers. I've heard it said that we pray small prayers because we believe in a small God. Listen, I want to challenge you. There's nothing wrong with asking God to help you with something. But I want you to think about it this week. How often do you pray bold prayers? 
or do you pray easy ones? God, help me have a great day today. God, keep me safe today. Okay? Are those things wrong in itself? No. But do not pray for an easy life. Jesus promised that's not going to happen. But pray for boldness to say, Lord, give me the boldness and the ability to do what needs to be done so that others can encounter and know you. That's a bold prayer that God is willing to answer. He did for them and he will do for us. So I want to challenge you. Don't pray small prayers. We have a God that is too big. Don't insult him with those, but pray them. As you grow in your prayers, you grow in your prayer language, just continue to talk to him and put your trust in him.